I am fascinated, intrigued, and honored you by may the have done what they said you did, but they are magnificent, they marvelous. Are. You need to know that you're okay just the way you are. You succeeded in you as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. It's Love on a mission hope. in a world where human experience is lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. I'm excited today to be able to talk about over the next few, three to maybe four episodes, to be talking about emotions. It's going to be a series on our emotions, and we're going to be taking them apart one by one. And I just want to make a comment about our emotions. They can be very fickle. It's an important thing to understand is that our feelings and our emotions are not something that we can guide our lives or other people's lives through. They can change in any given moment. We can wake up in the morning and not having slept well and feel very sad and overwhelmed. We can get to work and find out that we got a promotion and feel very elated. We could be on our way home and get into a near accident and feel very afraid. And all of this can take place in one day. Uh, several different feelings can race through our minds during the course of one day and through the course of our lives. And so emotions are not meant to guide us. They're not meant to lead us. But they are important, and oftentimes they're either overemphasized or they're underemphasized. And the truth is, is that they need to be noticed, they need to be acknowledged, they need to be affirmed, and they also need to be filed in the right place. And I want to talk a little bit about how we can kind of analyze and take a stronger and better look at the way we feel and challenge each one of you in being able to express emotions that maybe haven't been as expressed in your life. We tend to kind of lean towards one particular emotion. And I want to challenge all of us to be able to understand the differences. And so what are emotions? Emotions are a complex experience of consciousness, bodily sensation, and behavior that reflects the personal significance of a thing, an event, or a state of affairs. So it's complex, and it brings a sensation or a behavior or a significance to a specific set of things. So for instance, I might see a movie, and because of the content in the movie, my expression might be sadness because somebody in the movie had this death in their family and I focus on that. Somebody else might focus on the humor in a lot of the dialogue leading up to that scene. And so they walk away elated by the things that were laughed about and, and comically expressed. So it can be subjective and it's something that we need to be aware of that we're not all going to have the same emotions based upon the same experiences. And like I said, it can be very misleading and sometimes the behavior or the outcome of one's emotion can be misleading. For instance, there can be a root emotion that is behind the one that we assess in a person. And we need to look at those patterns. What we need to realize is that emotions can be packed in with other meanings. And so therefore, to just make a judgment about the way somebody acts is a misconception because there might be so much more that is packed in with the way that they're expressing that. And so we want to look at the emotion and the feeling and we also want to look at the potential mental health issue that's there because sometimes emotions or extreme emotions can be 
part of a mental health issue, and I don't want to undermine that. We're not going to focus on that. Obviously, there are treatment providers that can provide treatment and much more details about that element, but that is relevant to this. And also, there's a spiritual element to the emotions that we have and that we experience. And I want us to look at those three, what we feel, what might be a mental health issue, and also what might be spiritual. So today's podcast is going to be about anger. I figured I would start with the emotion that most people have a hard time dealing with, with their relatives or friends or even their own lives because they know that that's something that they really need to get under control. But I want us to look at anger in a lot of different angles, okay? So anger is a feeling of annoyance and it is a feeling that has to do with displeasure or hostility, it's a feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. And so one of the things that we need to be aware of is that there's different socialization that happens between males and females. So for instance, males tend to be socialized to express anger. That tends to be the quote, safe emotion that men or boys can express without being greatly judged when they're growing up. Anger seems to be socially acceptable. Whereas with girls, girls tend to be socialized to not express anger. They are taught that you need to suppress that, that you need to keep that from surfacing. You need to be compliant, you need to be submissive. And I'm not saying that this is the case in all homes, but overall, that's the way people are socialized. And so for those males that are out there, if you can relate to this, my challenge to you is that you will be able to learn to express other emotions rather than anger, that you will be in tune with some of those other ones. And for the females out there, same thing, but to not be afraid to be angry, to not be afraid to protest if there's a situation where it's necessary. And so what's important is that we take a look at that reality of the way that we're socialized and that we are able to also look at the roots there are roots and fruits, right? So the fruit might be an angry reaction. It might be somebody punching a wall or throwing something across the room or screaming and yelling. That looks like an angry reaction, but the root of it might be something completely different. So what I would like to say is that a psychologist recently who specializes in male development shared that many times men who present angry behavior or attitudes can be disguising depression or sadness. That many times males who will not come out and say, I feel very sad, I feel very despondent, I feel as though I'm you know, hopeless at this time, may not express it with those tears or those words, but they will express the angry aspect of that. And so it's very important to understand that sometimes anger can be disguising depression. And sometimes they're disguising other emotions. For instance, I remember working with a client who uh, had already lost his first wife to cancer, was remarried and was in a very, very healthy relationship and discovered that his second wife was diagnosed with cancer as well. And so he would come back week after week and talk about the hospital staff, the nurses, the case managers, and it was such an angry approach to everything. Nobody was doing anything right. The doctors had no answers. The nurses were not paying attention to his wife's needs. Everybody was 
you know, on the hot seat with him because of the way that they were handling the situation. And, and that's the way he would verbalize his reactions to being at her sickbed time after time. And finally, I challenged him and I said to him, is it possible that instead of being angry at the world and the hospital and everybody else, that you're just afraid? You think you might be afraid of losing your wife. And he just stared at me with this blank stare as if he had never thought about this at all in his life, the idea that he could be afraid. And he was able to acknowledge that that is something that he was feeling and that the best way for him to deal with it was to just be mad at the world rather than realizing that as a man, a man who was, I think, in fire, he was a firefighter or an EMT or law enforcement or something like that, and he was strong and he was burly, but he had no control over this cancer that was taking over his wife's body, and he just wanted to be angry. But the truth is, is that he was afraid. And years ago, I remember watching a movie about um, a couple that got lost out into the Caribbean Sea. They were scuba diving, and the boat left them out there. It actually was not the best movie in the world. Um, however, I remember watching it, and at one point the couple was out in the water, and they had just been left behind. Nobody knew that they were out there. And eventually they started getting circled by sharks. And I remember the husband got bitten by a shark. You know, it was just, you know, a bite in his lower leg, you know, but it was at that point, it, it was very painful. And all of a sudden this look of fear just came over him. And and his wife had to attend that and, and make sure that she was there and respond to this. And he was so afraid. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, men are afraid. Men can be afraid because in my house I was socialized that men were, you know, these goombads, these Italian, always in control type men. And um, so the way that I saw it was that men we're never afraid. And so it was something that I, in that moment, watching that movie, it was something that was a revelation to me about the fact that those emotions are just as apparent to males as they are to females. And so it's super, super important to understand that. And females are socialized that anger is not acceptable. We need to be compliant. We need to be less resistant. And also Christians or religious people are socialized to also be tolerant of things that would normally provoke anger. So if you're a female who's been socialized as a female and as a Christian, you're going to have a really hard time being able to express angry feelings. To give you an example, I had a client who came one time and met with me in my pastoral care practice. And um, she said to me, you know, I just... I can't feel anything. She said, I just, I don't feel anything. And truthfully, I believe that she was struggling with depression. And so, you know, I recommended that she go and seek treatment for that because that is something that's along with the symptoms of depression. However, we talked about it and I said, okay, well, let's talk about the last time that you actually felt any type of an emotion. And she mentioned that she was outside of her apartment building and one of her neighbors had done something. I don't know if it was that they had knocked over her trash or they had done something to her property or to her area. And she was so angry and she said, but I just remembered that I'm a Christian and I just decided, you know, I'm just going to walk away from the whole thing. And so my answer to her was, so really it's not that you haven't felt anything. It's that you haven't allowed yourself to feel it. 
you felt as though you couldn't be angry because you were a Christian or you couldn't be angry because you were a female. But the truth is you did feel anger. So it's not about a lack of emotion. It's about an understanding of what's appropriate and how we can utilize and acknowledge our emotions appropriately. And so it's real important that we take a look at this because that type of action in her case is called stuffing. What that means is that we're just stuffing our anger. We're not making it go away by walking away from it. We're stuffing it, which means that eventually there's going to be an explosion of some sort because around the corner will be another neighbor or someone who cuts you off on the road or a person who ticks you off, you know, in stop and shop or whatever the case may be. And, and that's going to add to the stuff that you put in there under containment and you're going to end up having an escalation and an explosion. And that's what we want to avoid. And so just to talk about the socialization of Christians or in the Bible, I think it's really important to understand how God thinks about anger. Okay. So first of all, what I want to say is that one thing I've noticed is that there's a lot of people that really want God to be angry all the time. And I don't get that. Every single thing that happens, if there's an earthquake or a tornado, if there's, you know, COVID, whatever it is, they always seem to want to make God angry. And I don't get that because, first of all, it's not biblical now in the New Testament side of things. It's not biblical. Um, but also even then it wasn't appropriate that God was angry at every single thing at mankind all the time. That, that certainly isn't accurate. And so I think it, it really changes the way that we see things and it takes our eyes off of who needs help in these situations instead of sitting around and wondering why is God angry at this country or this island or this state or um, this group of people. How about just rolling up your sleeves and going out and serving food to people that are displaced or sending a check somewhere, using the love that you have for people, the love that you have for God to actually help rather than to try to put them in a category where we think that God is just ticked off. It goes back to my first episode where I talked about how sometimes the way we represent God is like having a really bad lawyer, you know, where we misrepresent who he is. So... God is not angry all the time. That's simply not the truth. But in reality, God did get angry. Okay, so he did. I'll give you some examples. He was angry when he wanted Moses to lead the people and to utilize his own words to be able to rally the people together. And Moses wanted Aaron to be the one that would verbalize for him. And God got angry about that because God wanted to get that speech impediment under control for Moses. And also, too, putting Aaron in the mix, we realized later on, caused a lot of complications because the crowd moved Aaron in the wrong direction. So God knew that, and he wanted to keep it as pure as possible. So he got angry at that. He always got angry about idolatry. That's something that is true across the board. God has always wanted to be God. He's always wanted to be our king. He's always wanted to be the one that we go to and that we seek out for wisdom and guidance and love and protection and all of those things. And so when we go to something that he created with his own hands, that's ex excruciating to him. And so he does get angry with idolatry. He gets angry with chronic complaining of the people, like when the Israelites were in the desert and no matter what he did, every day he rained down manna from heaven. And in the middle of all of that, they did nothing but complain. Then, then they only had bread. They needed meat. 
then it wasn't good enough meat, then it was something else that was wrong. And so that got under God's skin because he was literally keeping each one of those people alive miraculously day in and day out, and they couldn't see it. All they could see was what they didn't have. And he would also get angry when evil would run rampant. He got angry at the golden calf incident, which is another idolatry situation. He got angry when people practiced divination. Why? Because they were looking to the stars to try to get guidance when the God of the stars was willing to give them prophets and words of knowledge and all of the things that they needed and desired, but they would go to this alternative means, which was based in the demonic. Uh, he would get angry when people would desert their faith because he knew that he was God who created them and loved them and was merciful and gracious, and they would desert that faith. He would get angry when people would sacrifice their sons and daughters because it was usually because of another religion where they were getting caught up in sacrifices that were demonic and also, too, the way God feels about the generations. He shows his love to a thousand generations. So to sacrifice your own sons and daughters, yeah, he got angry. And I think that that was appropriate. But David said in Psalm 30 and 5, he said, His anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So God's favor trumps any type of anger that he has because it's brief. And that's David who was a man after God's own heart. And so it's important that there's the need to look at his prophetic acts in the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is a beautiful testimonial of who God is. God decided instead of having Hosea talk about the love of God, he actually had Hosea act out the love of God. He said to this prophet, this was his assignment, I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. That was the prophetic assignment. Go and marry a prostitute. And he did. He obeyed. He married a prostitute. And then they had children together. But the truth of the matter is, is that she cheated on him, just as God knew that she would. She wasn't in a practice of having committed relationships. She hadn't moved out of her lifestyle. All she did was get married. And so God allowed Hosea to walk through this process. And at one point, he even said, you know, because the children, by the way, were from the other the uh, affairs. And he basically said, you know, to this child, name this child not my child. Name this other child, not loved. And so God was basically showing the way that he felt about Israel and about all of his people that they went to other gods and other loves and they cheated on him. But yet at the end, he came back and he brought all of them close to his side and said, how can I possibly, how can I possibly give you up Ephraim? This is in Hosea 11, 8 through 11. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? This is God speaking to them. My heart is changed within me. This is God. All my compassion is aroused. I love that. His compassion was brought to the surface. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. 
I will not come against these cities. So this is God with his forgiveness and his compassion that has been aroused, that he's saying, I'm not like mankind. My compassion is greater than any man or woman could actually have in a situation. And he utilizes this whole example of Hosea and his wife to show the love that he has for all of us. And even in the situation with Jonah, we all know about the story of Jonah. Everybody knows the story of how Jonah was asked to go and minister to Nineveh. And he was, you know, told that they needed to repent and he had to go and, and, and save this nation. And so he decided that he didn't want to go. Jonah, who was a second generation prophet, decided that he didn't want to go. He hated the Ninevites. He was actually very prejudiced and bigoted against the Ninevites for many reasons, and God knew that, and he sent him anyway, and of course, he disobeyed, and the whale came and swallowed him up and spit him back out, and he ended up going and doing the very same thing that God had asked him to do from the very beginning, which was minister to the Ninevites. But at any rate, once he went there and he spoke those words, guess what? The Ninevites fasted and repented. They even put their animals on a fast. They took it seriously, and God changed his mind. His compassion was aroused, and he changed his mind. And guess what? Jonah was pissed off. He was angry because he said to him, I knew that you were a merciful God. I knew you were a compassionate God. So basically he felt like he looked like a jerk. Because he said, God's going to destroy you, and then they repented, and God didn't destroy them. And that's the difference between God and man, because we get ourselves into the middle of it all. And Jonah needed to take a good hard look at his own anger, because underneath it all, there was prejudice, there was bigotry, um, and there was probably a lot of pride that was behind his anger that he needed to deal with. So we know that there's definitely anger that we can see in the word of God. We also know that Jesus was angry. We know that when he was upset with the uh, people that were selling things in the temple and were turning God's house into, like he said, a den of thieves, he was really angry and he went and he actually made whips out of dog's teeth and took those whips and knocked over all the tables and went in there with a vengeance. So a lot of people I know that, some people, when they look at Jesus, too, they look at someone who, oh, he turned the other cheek. And, yeah, Jesus used a lot of wisdom. He, he knew how to go at the Pharisees with more intellectual things than anything. He was very wise. He was not out of control. But he also expressed anger. He expressed sadness. He expressed disappointment. He expressed joy. He expressed anger. All the emotions that we have, Jesus expressed. So it's all there. So one of the things that I want us to look at is that um, the three components of anger. So number one, emotionally, anger can be disguised. We can have anxiety or fear or sadness or jealousy or even disappointment that can be at the very base or underneath the core of anger. Anger can house those other emotions that are hidden and packed for whatever reason, usually it's because that person doesn't feel like they can really tap into that true emotion. And it's based much more on how a person perceives a situation. Sometimes we can react to a situation because of the way that we see it and we don't allow ourselves to think about some alternative ways of seeing it because once we change our mindset, our emotions will follow. And also the mental health aspect of anger could be depression. There could be depression underneath it all. There could be PTSD, which is part of anxiety, right? 
a reaction, an angry reaction to things that really were based upon fear. Like for instance, if somebody struggled with PTSD from having been in a war and they're sitting around and all, all of a sudden the neighbors are shooting off fireworks. Now they're really angry. They're going out in the backyard. They're ready to attack that person that's next door. But instead of them being angry, they're really afraid because it triggered off some of the noises that they had when they were at war. It's really based upon fear. So those types of emotions, anxiety, other disorders can be packed into looking like an angry reaction. And sometimes when we see that, instead of judging a person and saying they're just so angry, we need to be aware that there might be other things going on. Spiritually, there's no particular sort of root spirit that's assigned to anger. But other things that are going on with people spiritually can be manifested in this look of anger. For instance, if people are dealing with the spiritual bondage of some sort of addiction and they're in the thrust and throes of that, their emotional reaction from that can look like anger, but it's really based in that bondage. Or it might be based in some sort of perversion or based upon some sort of spiritual fear. So it's usually not a particular thing that we would pray against, like praying against the spirit of anger, but sometimes it's packed into other things like the spirit of fear or the spirit of um, a bondage or perversion or things like that. And so, you know, sometimes spiritual things are the easiest things to combat if you just know how to pray and just say, God, I thank you that you are my God and that you have already defeated evil and you are with me and right now I just pray that you just remove this particular spirit from my life and from my household and it's as easy as that. The other aspect is in kind of looking at what we do with practicality as it pertains to anger. An important thing is that the Bible says to be angry but do not sin. So there's a big difference between having permission to feel anger and then sinning with your anger. So you only know, I can't assess for you, I can only assess for myself when my anger becomes something that turns into sin or turns into committing a crime or turns into something that negatively impacts other people. That's the difference between my emotion of anger and my behavior. So that's a really important thing. Proverbs 15 and one says, a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. So one of the best things in the world to do when somebody is coming at us and they're really, really angry is to bring a gentle answer to them. Or there's another scripture that says a gentle tongue can break a bone. So when someone is escalating and their voice is getting louder, when you speak to them softly, it brings them down. So that's an important thing when you're not the one that initiates the anger, um, but when you're dealing with somebody who is it's important that we approach a conflict with a calm demeanor. So sometimes that means that we have to kind of sit it out a little bit, take a little time out before we handle something. Most things do not have to be dealt with at that very moment. And if we can take that time to handle it better, it will result in a better reaction. Um, it's important that, well, one of the things I've noticed and heard and read about is that um, a lot of um, law enforcement individuals are now being trained in dealing with people with mental health issues. You know, post-pandemic, a lot of people are dealing with more anxiety and, and depression than they ever have. There's a lot more uh, going on in the world than there was prior to the pandemic. But they're noticing that law enforcement 
individuals are much more effective when they're trained in how to deal with mental health issues, that it's not about coming and being sort of that bouncer that gets control, but somebody that can come and do like what I just said with a calm demeanor and connecting with the person and allowing there to be a de-escalation. And also law enforcements are looking at bringing more females on board because statistically they're noticing that females are highly effective in being able to de-escalate people that are going through some really bad situations because there's more trust that's there and they're not expecting some burly person to come. They're expecting someone that's more maternal or nurturing. So also too, it's important to take some planned and communicated timeouts with the people that you tend to have a lot of escalations with, challenging yourself in self-control, and putting forth some calming techniques. There's lots of things that you can do to calm yourself down. Um, you know, sights and smells and fragrances and exercises and all sorts of things. There's lots of literature these days about that. And just to give you a quote to close out on, it says, you cannot see your reflection in boiling water. Similarly, you cannot see truth in a state of anger and the author is unknown. So thank you so much for listening today, and I hope that you've gotten something out of our podcast on anger. Have a wonderful day. In collaboration with IML Productions, this has been your host, Ginger Wilk, with That Which Matters. Thank you for listening.